Christian school for most of my life, over 25 years. And I watched hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of young people, like each of you, come through the school. And for most of those 18 years of their lives, be heavily, heavily taught the gospel of Jesus Christ. But watching them leave, I saw many interesting dynamics. But one of them was that sometimes the people, the students who looked most receptive, most Christian, while they were in the atmosphere of the school, ended up living lives that were very, very empty of God, very dishonoring of God. And that sometimes, those who looked most unchristian while they were in the school setting, ended up living lives, and are still living lives, dynamically serving the Lord and honoring Him. In other words, it was very, very hard to predict, based upon the first 18 years, how people were going to end up living their lives as adults. Why, when everybody's in the same basic environment and culture, and hearing the same gospel presentations, and being exposed to all of that, and having all that support, why, when there's so much similarity in all of that, do people go so many different ways as they grow older? There's a lot of reasons. The world gets hold of people. People grow angry at God because life turns out differently than what they expected or thought. But at the core, the Bible says the primary driving one is what they believe changes. We either, at every moment in our lives, every day of our lives, we are either growing in God's Word more accurately, more passionately, or we are growing less accurate in our understanding and less passionate in our faith or our devotion to the Lord. In other words, how your life will turn out spiritually is not based just on a great start, foundation, beginning, but on how you live the whole life. I think one of the most grueling races in track world is the 400. Any 400 runners here? One, two, that's really not very many. But you all know that people can look amazing. Runners can look phenomenal in the first 100 meters of the 400, which is about what the first 18 years of your life are compared to your whole life. And they can run amazingly looking good, and they can look horrible in the first 100 meters, but you don't win or lose the race. The race is not measured by that. There's no medal you get because you won the first 100 part. 
You only get it for the completion of the whole race and running it well. Uh, and so it is often in the Christian life as well. So, in your Bibles, if you have them, would you turn to Galatians? So just after the Gospels, and there's Acts, and Romans, and 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and then they come to those first four short letters by Paul, and Galatians leads that off. Possibly first or second or third. It's probably one of the very earliest letters that's written. Paul has gone on his first missionary journey, and that's in Acts chapter 13 and 14. And when he got to this area of the world called Galatia, so we might think of it as the Panhandle or central Nebraska. It's a region called Galatia. He went through that amazing, phenomenal responses to the gospel when he preached it in all these small communities. And people were believing and churches were being formed and Paul and Barnabas went through there and it was amazing and incredible. But then they moved on. That's Paul's pattern. And he went on to preach the gospel elsewhere because other people needed to hear the gospel. And all of these little churches and communities of believers began to attempt to follow the Lord and live for Him. But in the process, as happens everywhere, including in our own lives, wherever the gospel is being preached, false gospels are also going to follow and be proclaimed or preached. And so there were some people that came along behind Paul and Barnabas or might have even lived in those communities who started saying yeah, what Paul preached was great, but let me tell you a little clearer or better explanation. What he failed to tell you, or what I want to make even more clear, or what I want to emphasize even more is such and such. So when Paul writes this letter, and if you've read through his letters, almost all of his letters start with, I praise God for you, I thank God for you, I'm praying for you, but here... He starts with some incredibly strong words. So we're going to focus on verses 6 through 9, particularly verses 6 and 7. But let me just read that now. He says, I am astonished. So imagine reading the letter after the first little greeting. This is the first thing you read. I am astonished, shocked, disappointed, gravely concerned that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. That's a long title for God. And are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to, different from, the one we preach to you, let him be accursed or damned. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning just thinking about the gospel but even before that, I want to talk a little bit about the danger that the Bible tells us about that. 
then what is this gospel that cannot be distorted, must not be distorted? What are we talking about? Then some possible false gospels or distortions, corruptions of it that you and I are facing today. And then kind of the direction or what do we do? What is the duty of those who want to hold to the true gospel? The true gospel, as the Bible teaches it, is the most powerful, beautiful thing. And a distorted gospel, which might have a lot of similarities to the true gospel, but goes off, goes wrong in some way, is one of the most damaging and destructive things. And sometimes it's an incredibly small but significant difference. God warns us that there are all kinds of false gospels or the way the, the terminology the, the New Testament usually uses is false teaching. And that comes through what the New Testament calls false teachers. But don't think here necessarily of a guy like me standing up in front of a large group proclaiming a falsehood. Don't necessarily think of church buildings and temples and other things, religious facilities where that's taught. Think of false teachers as musicians you might listen to, people who write that you might read, a next-door neighbor, a friend you make in college, a college professor, Within your church, it can be a Sunday school teacher. It can be the person that sits next to you in the pew. Like false teachers or people who put forth wrong ways of being saved or being made right with God are everywhere, everywhere. So almost all the New Testament letters talk about it. Paul wrote about it all the time. Listen to some of the things he said. And this is primarily, first of all, about his concern about what they do. In 2 Corinthians 11, he says, I am afraid that just as the serpent, Satan, deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, is there another Jesus? No, but he's saying, if somebody comes along and says, here's another way to be made right with God. Here's another way you can know you're going to heaven. Here's another way besides all the stuff you've heard in the gospel, in your homes and in your school and in your churches that preach it that way. Here's something else and an altering of the true Jesus. He says, if someone comes along and proclaims a different Jesus, you put up with it readily enough. You listen you let, you let it into your thoughts and you chew on it and you think, well, maybe the way I was taught or maybe those verses don't really mean that. Um, in Hebrews 2.1, he says, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If, listen to this, 
if you hold fast, don't let go of the word which I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. In other words, that belief and faith in the true gospel you once had, if you don't hold fast to that, it's in vain. It's been empty. It's been a waste. Colossians 2, uh, 1, one more example. Paul says, you once were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil. Now Christ has reconciled you in his body by his death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before God. It's a glorious truth of the gospel. Now listen, if, if you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So all four of these letters where Paul is saying this were people who heard Paul proclaim the gospel. Now, whoever has shared the gospel with you, from your parents to your teachers here to pastors and other godly believers, wonderful, beautiful thing. But think of hearing Paul who actually got vision into heaven, who actually met with Christ in, for years, who got revelations from Christ in incredible ways that no other human did. Imagine having him preach the gospel to you, but over time, not holding fast to that. That's the warning. Okay, I've got to go faster. So, what is this gospel that has to be so true? Well, in a nutshell, just broadly, we could say what the Bible says. But I want to be even more specific. But here's kind of what's incredible, amazing, and challenging with the gospel is someone can hear an incredibly simple, short explanation of their sinful condition, of God and his plan and will for man, the sending of Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. There, I did that all very, very briefly and just moments can have that explained and literally in a matter of just minutes they can change the whole destiny of their life they can go from heading down a road of destruction toward hell to walking on a narrow path toward the kingdom of god and eternity with god it's incredibly simple in fact jesus said no one gets into the kingdom unless they become like a child in understanding the gospel. But at the same time, the gospel has infinite depth to it. So we spend our whole lives, I have now walked with Jesus for about 46 years. I don't know how many days that is, how many hours that is. It's a long time in human measurement. We spend our whole lives continuing to hear it, think through it, go deeper in our understanding at all of all of it. And sometimes along the way of doing that, because of what we hear, because of what we think, because of what we read, because of what we listen to, we start going down a little different path. And we all know there is a true way to get from one place to another, and then there are all kinds of wrong ways to take. If you've ever gotten lost, 
Simple illustration. You just, it doesn't take much. One turn too soon, one turn too late, one turn in a slightly different direction and in a slightly different way, and you can end up in a totally different destination. So it is with us as we follow through the gospel as well. So a person can be saved in their understanding, can understand it and believe it in incredible short simplicity. It is stunning. And yet there are depths to it and there are complexities to it in terms of everything about Jesus Christ, everything the Bible tells us about God, everything the Bible tells us about us. Like we can't just take out the fact that we're very sinful beings and we deserve hell, which is one of the things today that our culture in America just cannot accept about the gospel. So we get bombarded, you all get bombarded every single day with messages that contradict that and tell you that's not true and tell you you're not that bad of a sinner and tell you that hell is not just and tell you that God is not that kind of a God and tell you, yeah, just the wrong message is coming. So the true gospel that the scriptures teach and explain and that I believe and hope you are being taught in your home, by your parents and in your church and in your school has all kinds of elements to it that are critical and important. And here's what you need to realize. In the 2,000 years particularly since Jesus walked on this earth and died and rose again, every single truth of the gospel has been corrupted. Every single one. There isn't anything in the gospel that you can think about that the scriptures teach us about that someone hasn't come along and distorted, corrupted, and made inaccurate or, or wrong. So the call that Paul is giving to the Galatians here is you need to pay close attention that you are not believing over time a distorted, corrupted, incorrect gospel. Because, and this is the, the, the most frightening line in that opening section of Galatians, is in doing so, you desert Christ. You desert the God who is offering you his grace. Later in Galatians, in chapter 5, Paul says, you fall away from grace and you are severed from Christ. You are cut off. Very, very scary, strong words, phrases, descriptions of what happens. So I want to spend just a few minutes, our, our last 10 minutes, I want to spend some of that time just helping you think through some false gospels that you're hearing, some distortions of the true gospel that might be just helpful for you to think through. The most dangerous and the most common are distortions about Jesus Christ himself. His person, whether it's he's not God, question his deity, or he's not sinless, or he didn't rise from the dead, either his person or his work, what it accomplished. So when you hear somebody present Jesus in even a slightly different way than what you read about in the Bible, 
that's not okay. That's not something to just kind of think, oh, I like that new and different way of thinking about Jesus. And a very subtle one in our world today is we start talking only about Jesus healing our brokenness and our pain and, our, and not about our sin. Like when the word sin starts dropping out and the need for Jesus and what he does for our sin stops being talked about, you're losing the gospel. So anything about Jesus, and let me just emphasize a few things. Like I gave you some examples already, but realize this. The gospel requires that Jesus be sufficient, all sufficient, meaning you can't, you can't say that something else has to be added to your life or to your beliefs in order for Jesus to, to fully save you or in order for you to be saved. Okay, so in Galatians, it was adding part of the Old Testament law, hanging on to that because they felt it was really important. For us, it may be different things. It can be anything from, I can embrace Jesus and Muhammad. I can do Christianity and I can do yoga and transcendental meditation. Like there's all kinds of ways that those can be distorted. So, can't distort Jesus. He has to be sufficient. He has to be preeminent. That's a big word for supreme or number one. In other words, Jesus is not part of a whole bunch of things that might save or there might be other things that are more important in Christianity and the gospel than Jesus. He has to be supreme, number one. When people start talking about being saved but it doesn't involve Jesus saving us, we've got a false gospel or at least a Christless gospel. Um, and he must be exclusive, okay? Meaning he doesn't share that with anyone or anything else his work alone exclusively saves us when we trust in it and then finally on that he must be believed accurately so you can't add things about jesus that aren't in the bible and you can't leave out things about jesus that you don't like like you can't just ignore all the times he talked about eternal judgment and hell and suffering you can't just say, well, I don't like that Jesus, so I don't, I'm not even going to pay attention to that part. Like You have to take Jesus in his entirely, ac entirety, accurately, completely, without adding, without taking away, and without twisting or distorting or altering or rewording it. Okay, Very, very, very critical in this. Uh, somebody said, and I think it's, it's very good, an imaginary Jesus, one that we imagine in our heads rather than go by what the Bible says, and an imaginary Jesus produces an imaginary salvation. It's all made up in our heads. It's not reality. So I would throw in this category all the false religions, whether you're talking Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, all those cults, uh, all the other churches that proclaim any other means of getting to God other than through Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ alone, his life, his death, his resurrection, his power. Here's a few other ones. Very, very, ah, got to go faster. Very quickly, legalism. Legalism. That's where 
somebody says, yes, you got to believe all that stuff, but you also need to do. Okay, it's adding law. It's adding rules uh, that you're not really a Christian unless you behave in these certain ways, that it's based more on your behavior than on your beliefs. Another one, a third one, uh, if I, I put all the ones under Christ under one, legalism, then uh, license or antinomianism is the big word, okay? So that's where you take it the other way. So Galatians later, Paul will talk about freedom in Christ. So the antinomian is the person who says, oh yeah, I believe all that stuff about Jesus, but I'm free, so I don't have to necessarily turn from my sin, I can just keep living in that. Jesus has freed me from all of that. I'm not going to fall, in, fall under any of that. So basically, it's the people who just simply say, hey, you prayed a prayer to accept Jesus. You're in. You're good. Don't worry about anything else. And they go on just living without changing or repenting. Fourth, therapeutic gospel or self-focused. So this is where you as a person become more important than Christ. Like, it's about how Jesus makes you feel. It's about your needs being met. It's about you being the center of everything. And what really matters is you and not so much the Lord. Another one, the prosperity gospel. That one you may have heard of a little bit more. This is where Jesus is simply a means, not for salvation, but a means to get earthly blessings. So this is where you trust in Jesus and you pray certain ways and you give more to the church so that Jesus or God will bless you in certain ways. And Jesus becomes more like a genie in a lamp that if you rub it the right way, he'll come out and grant your wishes. Social gospel. Social gospel. That's where you start to make Jesus and Christianity about helping society and taking care of America's problems. So this is, I feel most Christian when I'm helping the poor. We're not really Christians if we're not all out living among the poor and doing those or whatever it might be. And, and good causes within this from racial issues to sex trafficking to abortion. But the cause of those things becomes more important than the kingdom of God and living for Christ. Uh, there's more. Uh, I'll stop there for time's sake. Um, and just try to, to, to bring this to a wrap or to a close. So, the press that's in Galatians at the beginning of the letter is the one that's true for you and me as well. Recognize from reading Galatians that you and I or anyone can desert Christ very quickly. That's Paul's opening words. I'm shocked at how fast it happened. Okay? So I've known students who went to a Christian school, grew up in a Christian home, given the gospel and all of that, and half, like weeks into their freshman year of college, they've renounced everything that they've been taught and ever believed their whole life. So realize that deserting happen, can happen very fast, but it also can happen very, very slowly and subtly over time. And you just don't even recognize it. And all of a sudden, five years later, you're in a very different place spiritually than you were once believing and living. And just realize the danger and severity of believing a distorted or inaccurate gospel. So we need to be 
like those in Berea, in Acts chapter 18, I believe, who heard Paul preach the gospel every day when he was in their town. And you remember what they did? They went home every night and they searched the scriptures to see if what he said was true. They didn't even take Paul's words for what was the truth of the gospel. They looked in God's word and made sure. So the call of this is your whole life, you need to be careful examiners, studiers. Every time you hear an amazing, and here's part of what's happening in America, false teachers become incredibly popular. And everybody starts thinking so-and-so because they made some reference to God, some reference to Jesus, some reference to heaven. They just start following them like crazy. And we're guilty of it within Christian community as well. So because somebody is really popular, because something is really popular, because there's a new way of thinking or believing or whatever it might be that comes along and everybody else seems to be doing it, has zero proof that it is right. Examine everything carefully according to what the Bible says. So when you hear somebody say this, particularly when you go, I've never heard that before, that might be a cause for concern. And just be careful about wanting to hear new and different and better things than what you've been taught and heard. Like there is no other gospel than what we find in God's word um, and no other new uh, nuances or revelations about it. So I look at you. I don't know you. I don't know where you are in your own hearing the gospel, believing it, believing the true gospel, believing that it is the only way by which you can be made right with God and that you have to be made right with God or you will receive his wrath and his punishment at the end. I don't know where you're at on that. But it isn't just about where you're at today. It isn't just about, I prayed a prayer when I was three or six or 11 or yesterday. It's about a whole lifetime, a whole lifetime of faithfully holding to the same gospel. Not shifting, swerving, drifting from it, but always keeping it at the very center of your life always growing deeper in it, always growing more accurate in it. And the gospel then, as we know, will do incredible things in our lives and God will use it greatly for his kingdom. Father, I thank you for allowing us to hear the gospel. There are millions, millions upon hundreds of millions of people, even now on the earth, who've never heard about Jesus one time and we get to hear him about him dozens of times every day, our whole lives. What an amazing blessing. But I pray, God, I pray for each one here that you will keep us faithful to believing and fully, more deeply believing what your word tells us about you, about your son, about your work to accomplish our salvation, about what that means. And I pray that you will Protect and keep us from all 
false, distorted, corrupted, false gospels that are all around us. Keep us true to you until you come again, we pray in your name. Amen.